Welcome to Life Happens, where Texans come to protect their legacy and prepare for the second half of life. Join your host, attorney Kim Hegwood of Your Legacy Legal Care and our weekly guest as we navigate the challenges that emerge as life happens. Now here's your host, Kim Hegwood. Good morning and welcome to Life Happens with me, Kim Hegwood, and our very special guest today is Anna Reyes. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, this is a really important topic um, because it's we have a lot of clients that, you know, they, the hospital shoves them out the door and they're back in the hospital. So today we're going to actually talk about how to prevent hospital readmissions. And so, yes. and so what is, you know, I guess, you know, I think readmission is you go back to the hospital, but that's yes. not exactly true for most things, right? So what, what do y'all consider a hospital readmission? So basically a hospital readmission is anything that happens, uh, let's say the client with pneumonia, right? Comes into the hospital um, today with pneumonia. Three, four days later, they send that client home, that client, that patient home. Um, and within 30 days of the, of the patient being discharged from the hospital, the patient ends up back in the hospital for either worsening pneumonia or symptoms that just don't improve related to that pneumonia. So that's basically what CMS considers or Medicare considers to be a hospital readmission for a same cause or something related and happens within 30, not, uh, 30, 60 or 90 days. But the most um, most hospitals uh, benchmarks use the 30 day mark. Yeah. And so does Medicare cover the readmission? Because, I mean, I know cost with family members, you know, and. Uh, just trying to, you know, say, you know, keep that out-of-pocket expense, you know, so does Medicare cover those readmissions? So, you know, um, Medicare has been studying the, it's it's very important to understand that hospital readmissions are very, very prevalent um, in the elderly community, um, the most young, the kids, um, and people with low socioeconomic status. Those are the groups that um, suffer most of the high rates of hospital readmissions. Currently, um, studies show that up to 25% actually um, is the number of, out of 100 people, 25 of them will be readmitted to the hospital. That's, That's a high number, yeah. And, uh, and it shows that 15 of those people, 15% of, um, of that population um, could have been prevented. So. What Medicare started looking at was, why is this happening? How do we prevent it? And how do we cut the cost? So you know how it works, right? Money talks. So then what Medicare did, it said, hey, you guys, hospitals, you're not doing a great job at keeping people out of the hospitals after you discharge them. So I'm going to tie your reimbursement to the number of people you get back into this hospital. So let's say now the elderly person that was admitted for that pneumonia that second time, the first time Medicare paid 100% of that hospital admission. That second time Medicare says, now I'm gonna pay you less. I'm gonna still pay you, but I'm gonna pay you less. And in some cases that, I mean, if we're talking about thousands and thousands of people, you're talking about billions of dollars in the line for these hospitals. So then um, that's when the hospitals were incentivized to say, how can we improve our discharge process? How can we ensure that that elderly person with pneumonia, that that elderly person with congestive heart failure or COPD does not come back to the hospital? 
And so when that happened, and of course, you know, if Medicare says we're going to start uh, paying you 10 cents for whatever, then all the private insurances follow suit. Another um, aspect to consider is, you know, when a, pa when a, when a, a patient is um, non-funded, right, that becomes a big cost for the hospitals because there's no one absorbing this bill and you cannot turn anyone down. So, um, so in turn that they improved their process of readmission of, of discharge and kept a better track of how many patients are coming back to the hospital and why, what is going wrong? Why is it that we're not doing right the first time that this is happening? Uh, once it was tied to the money, uh, hospitals started paying attention because Medicare said, I'm gonna pay you, but I'm not gonna pay you the whole thing because something went wrong. So we do get calls from clients' families and they're saying, um, hey, the hospital's trying to discharge mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, and, and we don't think they're ready to, you know, ready to be released because they don't seem to be well enough, you know, to leave the hospital. So, so what kind of choices does someone have when they're really worried about, you know, the hospital trying to, you know, to give them the boot, so to speak, you know, earlier than they want to be? Well, let me tell you, actually, I have a perfect um, example of something like that happening. Actually, not too long ago, I had a client who was first discharged from the hospital, sent home. Um, she, had, she did not have the adequate care at home. So many different uh, things that made that discharge unsafe. Bottom line, three days later, she ends up back in the hospital. And what they said was, well, she's better. What she was discharged, we know the reason she came to the hospital for it first initially has been resolved. The almost, um, she had an attack at home where she lost her pulse, her blood pressure dropped very, very low, very dangerous situation. Um, they said, well, that was just an episode. She can go home tonight. And this is um, eight, nine o'clock at night when they're trying to discharge her home from the emergency room actually. And so, of course, the son is scared because, hey, they're trying to discharge mom home. I don't know what to do, right? And so guess what? There is choices. It, it, you have a choice. So um, at that point, um, the, the, the patient, the family member or the patient can say, I do not feel well enough. I don't think that you have treated the reason why I was admitted well enough. And I don't think I'm ready to go home. And they can appeal the decision of the hospital to go home. Then what happens is the case manager of the hospital or the social worker, either one that handles the care or that process, will actually file a Medicare appeal for that patient. And that actually, it can take a couple of days, right? And the hospital can still say, hey, you are discharged. You really, there's nothing, no reason, no clinical reason for us to keep you. Um, and, and there's times that that happens where the, 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 the patient just doesn't really want to go home because you know they receive good care at the hospital or you know things like that happen they do um but if the if the patient really feels that hey i'm not ready to go home my i'm still having fevers or you know i'm still not able to i still the problem i came in is still persistent and i don't feel they've done enough for me they can appeal that decision of the hospital and there shouldn't be um i know people every time they hear that word they there's some kind of negative connotation with it right because, oh, well, now they're not going to treat me right, or now they're not going to give me my medications, or now the nurses are going to be mean to me. There is, um, when an appeal happens, the clinical staff are usually not aware of that. 
So you will know that the client, you know, that the patient has has plans for discharge and that they didn't, you know, they were not ready to go home. But the the appeal process and all of that, the clinical staff, the nurses, the doctors, most of the time, the doctor, of course, is aware because they have to make sure that they go back to that client, um, to that patient's um, record and say, are we discharging her correctly? Have we done everything that we needed to do? Um, but usually the clinical staff, the nursing staff, the, the PCAs, the physical therapists, they don't know that that's going on. So there shouldn't be, and even if they are aware, there shouldn't be at any point any risk of retaliation. So it's always good to say, hey, it's not okay. I don't feel okay. Appeal the decision. That's only if you have Medicare. Um, Medicare allows that to happen. If you are unfunded, unfortunately, you are really at what the hospital says you're ready to go. Um, and same thing with private insurances. Some insurances do allow for that process of appealing as well. And my point is, don't be afraid to appeal it. It's okay to say, I don't feel ready to go. So what kind of things can families do to prevent their loved ones from, you know, from being readmitted to the hospital prior to discharge? What kind of things need to be in place? So it's very important to, um, and, and I will say this, as I mentioned earlier, um, a hospital, you know, we focus a lot on the elderly, right? Because they are our most vulnerable population. But we have noticed also our young adults, like people with type 1 diabetes. Um, that disease requires a lot of education, a lot of um, changes to be made in the in the lifestyle, a lot of changes to be made in the home. Um, so the more involved people are in any discharge, if you have a loved one in the hospital, no matter what their age is, get involved. Um, and some of those things are, you know, if if I'm an elderly person, I'm 80 years old, and it's known that if the elderly, if they get admitted within three days, they lose up to 30% of their functional ability um, to be able to walk, to be able to safely care for themselves. Um, so if if it's my grandmother who's in the hospital, I'm gonna make sure that, hey, mom has been in the hospital for four or five days. Is she still able to get up without assistance to the bathroom? And if she's not, and for the last three, four days at the hospital, she's been using a walker, she might need a walker at home. Or if all of the sudden, um, you know, she was able to, um, or all of the sudden she's not eating well and she's not chewing food well, then do we need to have some supplements at home before she comes home? Um, does she Is she gonna go home with oxygen? Do we need to make sure that I have the oxygen at home? Do I need to make sure that if she's incontinent all of the sudden for whatever reason, whatever this is process that she has gone through, have all those supplies and equipment at home. And if she is going to need someone to be at home with that person, don't wait till she's home for you to start looking into your options. You know, will she need physical therapy? Will she need skilled nursing? Will she need home care? What kind of help does she need at home so she can be, so she can remain at home? Um, so that's a big one. Once you go through that uh, discharge process, it's very important to make sure that uh, someone else, someone that can say, uh, that doesn't add up or um, that doesn't make sense or why I, why is she going to be on this medication is at the bedside. Meaning don't leave your elderly getting the discharge instructions while you go to the car to turn on the car and bring it closer to the parking lot. The adult that's taking care of that person, whether it's a young adult, a child or the elderly, 
has to be in the room when the nurse or when the physician are giving those instructions, because those instructions will definitely um, tell you what, what's next. That transition of care has to be as clear as possible. And that the questions that you have get answered before you exit that hospital. I always hear people say this, oh, well, uh, you can always call us if you have any questions. The nurses, right? We will say that. But in reality, once you leave, you will not be able to get in touch with me again. It's very hard. Yeah. So very, yeah. So it's very important to have someone that can ask questions, have someone else there available to able to, um, you know, know, okay, I need to do A, B, C, and D. And that communication has to be clear. Most of the discharges that happen too soon, too late, or that the instructions were not given clearly, it's all related to communication. Why? Because you put an elderly person who was probably on some kind of pain medication or on some kind of something that changes, alters their, um, their mental status, and now you're telling them the steps to follow when they go home. It just doesn't work. So what are some tips for optimal wellness for a recently discharged senior? What what things can we put help, you know, our listeners put in place to, you know, to give them the best chance of staying home and not being readmitted to the hospital? You know, one of the big one of the number one reason that has been identified um, as the reason why people end up back in the hospital is after you leave the hospital, you have got to go and follow up with your primary care physician. You have got to go back and follow up with your doctor, make sure that, oh, okay, the infection is getting better, or, okay, wait a minute, we need to change the course of the antibiotic, or uh, we need to, you know, <clears throat> add a different, <clears throat> sorry about that, add a different therapy, you know, we need to add physical therapy, or we need to do things like that. Most people get discharged from the hospital and they don't follow up with their primary care physicians or they don't go back and, you know, they don't go to the pharmacy and get those prescriptions that they were given. Or they, um, you know, or a lot of times what happens too is at the hospital, they gave you a certain number of medications, right? And usually they will add medications to your regimen. It's very important that that physician, your home care provider, the person that knows you best, the one that you follow up with all the time, gets to see the current, the your, um, your discharge, um, your home medication discharge list, and what you were taking at home. There has to be, um, someone has to do that check and balance to make sure that you are not taking extra or that you're all of the sudden not on a blood pressure medication that you were on before you were into the hospital and that you've been taking for 20 years. Because it's not gonna be long before you end up with, you know, um, fluctuations in your blood pressure and you're not feeling well and this is happening and next thing you know, you're back in the hospital. So um, I had a case not too long ago where the, the client was discharged home and he um, had a list of medications. One doctor ordered one thing, another doctor ordered something else. Bottom line is he had like three stool softeners in his medication list and all the medications were picked up. So the family didn't know that these different names, different names for these medications, but three of them were for, um, you know, to there were laxatives. So this, guys start having diarrhea like crazy right so it's like oh we gotta go back to the hospital we went through the list of the medications called his doctor all of that and sure enough there was three stool softeners in his medication list plus the family was giving him a Marilex every day to help him out so you know so it's something simple right that if you go to the doctor right after your discharge he would have been able to identify that in no time 
Um, so it's very important that they follow up with a doctor to ensure that um, they have the medications are good, that a, a follow-up assessment is done, and also to ensure that, again, like I mentioned earlier, have what they need at home to ensure that there will be no falls. I mean, falls is a huge risk for our elderly population. Make sure that the medications are picked up. Make sure that, you know, will they be needing care now? Will they be able to take care of themselves before and now they're not? Who's going to be doing that care? You know, which family member is going to be alternating the care of this person? How are we going to work that out? Um, all of that is very important. And we also tell clients all the time to, um, to give, take the list of prescriptions to the pharmacist and have them go through them. Yes. And some of them interact with each other, you know, and doctors don't always know. And so, so really having a conversation with the pharmacy and says, hey, I'm taking all these. Can you look at these and make sure that nothing is interacting with the other because that happens a lot you know absolutely yes and it happens way more often than we think and um, again you know there's a, a, a term for our elderly population mainly it's used it's called polypharmacy why because and another thing too it's very important is for people not to get prescription from different pharmacies make sure that you have one pharmacy one primary care physician the more you spread out your care, the less people really know what's going on with you, right? Because communication is key when improving uh, the health and making sure that everyone knows what's going on with that person. So Anna, if somebody wants to find you, um, how do they find you? Sure, they can actually visit um, our website at dedicarehomehealth.com. Um, they can email us at dedicated at dedicaretx.org or a phone call is always welcome, 346-701-7915. Uh, so you've given us a ton of good advice today and I so appreciate it for my listeners. And, um, and we look forward to uh, having you again on the show sometime soon. Absolutely, thank you so much for having me and have a wonderful 2023. Thank you, you too. All right. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Life Happens with Kim Hegwood. Be sure to tune in every Thursday at 10 a.m. wherever you listen to your podcasts as we navigate through the challenges that emerge as life happens. The content of this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship or constitute attorney-client privilege, legal, medical, financial, or any other professional advice.